Bibles to Psalms 24. Psalm 24. This psalm is like Psalm 15. It's a psalm of ascent. It's a psalm that Israel sang as they ascended the hill of God. It is a psalm that prepares the heart for worship. It is a psalm that the child of God longs to see manifested in their life. It is a psalm that puts forth God for who he is first. And then when man gets the sight of God, then they're able to worship and be conformed unto his image. We see in the beginning of Psalm, verse, Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The fullness thereof can also be interpreted as all that is in it. Every single thing in all of the earth is God's. Whether man give it unto him or not, it is his. It is rightfully his. He created it from the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God created. It showed himself as all-sufficient. The all-sufficient, covenant-keeping, covenant-bearing God. The earth is the Lord's. When they were ascending and walking up to the mount of God, they would think the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. Not one thing is not His. Every fiber, every strand, every ray of light that comes from God, every blessed and good thing that man receives comes from the fount of the living waters of God and it is from Him, through Him, that we receive those things. It says in Colossians 1 that He created all things and by Him were all things created that were created. Every single thing that we see, every single good thing that we see is from God Almighty. He has given us all things freely that we would know Him. The utter, you see in the, verse, the first verse of this text, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That it is utter folly for mankind to go off in their own way. Because they are rightfully His. They are His. Whether they declare Him to be Lord or not, He is Lord. He is sovereign over all. He owns it all and He sustains it all by the word of His power. He upholds every single thing, children. Every single thing that you see, He upholds it by the word of His power. He is a God that is all sufficient for us. We should rest in Him being the creator of all things and such a thing that is to be meditated upon by His people. It even says in Revelation, they're going to give glory to God because He is the one that created all things. This is not something just for the heathen to know God by. This is something for us, the covenant people of God, to worship Him and adore Him by. The first part of this gets our mind in the right frame. It sets us up for worship. It sets us up to see Him for who He is. 
So that when we get together as men and we pray and we ask God to do a work in our midst and to do a work amongst us, we come before his throne with this first upon our minds. That we are under the banner of the covenant-keeping God. He is our banner. He is our standard. He is all-sufficient. And this must be first upon our frontlets when we come before him in prayer. And we come before him in worship that is all to be done to the one who has created and sustained everything. Meditate on it. The one who created us made us for himself. But then also in this we see the comfort for the people of God, yet we see the wickedness and rebellion of man. That God has created him, and God has revealed himself to all of creation, yet they suppress the truth in lies. We should go with fear and trembling. To the, we should think upon the wicked with fear and trembling because they do not give God the glory that is already due him. It is already due him. It doesn't matter. It is already due him. He has created us and made us for himself. The world and those who dwell therein, this gets personal. He's not only created the heavens and the earth. He's not only created all things and he upholds all things. But every single man, woman, and child is his. It's rightfully his. And he, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. As we see in 1 Peter, the world that we see now is not the world that God created in the beginning. Because the waters came up from the ground and it seeped through the ground and the waters didn't come from the sky as we see them now. The whole creative order was changed by man's sin and man's rebellion. But the, the psalmist here is trying to get men to fix their eyes that God created all things good. And everything he does is good. But the things and the reasons that we see what we see is because man's rebellion against the infinite goodness of God. And then we have from this in our ascent to worship, in our ascent to pray to God, we see a direct flow right into verse number three. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord. This is the question of the saints of all generations. Who shall come before God? All of us in here have went our own way in our lives. All of us are sinful and in need of a Savior. Every single man, woman, and child on the earth is in need of God. So who shall ascend the hill of the Lord is the question. Who shall stand in his holy place? The great thing that we see is we see that coming through this part. In the first part, we see God for who he is. In the second part, we see how men that are his ought in the generation of God live. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? What makes man worthy to come before God? We've just seen God for who he is. 
And now the question is, who shall come into his presence? Who shall worship Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God? Who shall worship him? Who shall stand before his infinite goodness, knowing that we are not? If you look quickly to verse number six, you see, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. So in verses three through six and to that point, we're going to see a showing forth of who God's people is, what they truly are, what they will be like, because what God has done within will come without automatically because every single person that has came under the covenant of Christ has been made a new creature in him to now serve no longer the diverse lusts that they used to serve, but to serve the true and living God. So we see in verses 4 through verses 6, we see that who shall ascend the hill of God, who shall stand in his holy place, it is us. He, he grants unto us through Christ to come into his presence. He grants unto us to come to his throne of grace. We are no longer under, under Mount Zion. But we see the full depiction of God's manifestation of himself through Christ to redeem a people unto himself that his people would be like him. It says, who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall ascend the hill of Yahweh? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. This is a, a showing forth of who the people of God truly are is those that have clean hands, who do not show deceit in their day-to-day -day lives, who work unto God by faith, knowing that their work is not a work that is not recognized. That everything that we need to do is to be done by faith, because apart from faith, whatever we do is sin. It's to be according to the word of God, and whether we make a deal with someone and we realize that we truly fall out, we still follow with the deal because we are not to be deceitful. But this is not something that we brew up of ourselves. This is something the Spirit of God does in regeneration and making us more like Him. And these fruits are automatic outflows of what God has done within. But He says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Pure, purity of heart is said in the Beatitudes is, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Purity of heart is something that a, a true child of God longs for. Who knows that they see so much imperfections. I see so much imperfections in myself, but I long for purity and holiness, to be holy as he is holy. Purity of heart means no competing loyalties. That you have nothing else that's competing against walking in the will of God. No competing loyalties. That everything you're doing is done according to the word of God. Seeking a kingdom whose maker and builder is God. You're no longer seeking the vanity of this earth, but you're seeking a kingdom 
of righteousness, a kingdom that is of God, that when we go towards him, we're automatically, and we go towards and we, meet, and we read more of the fullness of God in Christ, we are conformed unto his image as we've been reading and learning on Sunday evenings. As was read last week, 2 Peter 1, that knowing these things, you, you put on virtue, and virtue, you put on brother, brotherly love, and brotherly love, you put on the next one. And then he says, of all these things, and knowing God and knowing who he is, you will be partakers of the divine nature of God. These things aren't myths. These things aren't, this is supernatural work of God that he does in our lives that are glorious, that are to be brought into. Because it is the promise obtainers that inherit eternal life. We obtain them by the blessing, as it says in verse 5. He will receive the blessing from the Lord, which is the Holy Spirit, the earnest of our inheritance, the down payment that's going to not only save us, but take us through this life. Give us understanding in the knowledge of the truth. Give us understanding in the spiritual things that we truly understand the word of God for what it says so that we come to understanding and knowledge in these things that we would be less and that he would be more. Who does not live his soul, as it says in verse 4, he who, does, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false or vanity. Who does not lift his soul, who does not give himself to that which is not according to the word of God who walks so much in the light of God's word that he feels the quenching of the spirit of God in his life. He sees when he looks or she looks upon something or gives himself to something, they know when they quench the Holy Spirit because they've, they're walking with the Lord and, the, and they've given themselves to something, whether it be the internet, whether it be the television, whatever it is, what are false, bad communications with someone? Just running and talking behind people's backs. That quenches the spirit. The next time that you go to the Lord in prayer or you go to the Lord in the Bible, that he doesn't reveal himself to you. The presence of God, it feels as David said at points, that it was, why are you far from me? And every child of God knows the presence of God being close and filling them and giving them power. And also they know the far offness of God. But he's saying, he that does not lift his soul, that does not give his life, that does not give his heart, his whole being unto these things. And people, we don't think that we give ourselves to these things. But if we ask the Lord to help us to walk in the Spirit, I think there will be things in our life that will have to be put aside automatically. Because we know it is not in righteousness, and we know it is not in building us up, and we know that it is not only a sin against ourselves, but it's a sin against the brethren. Because how can we be used apart from having these things manifest in our life? The Lord knows us for who we are. The Lord knows exactly where we're at. 
Do we have these things in our life where we have purity of heart towards God? Desiring his kingdom to come in our families. Desiring his kingdom to come in those around about us. Desiring with all our might to see God's will go forth. And God's kingdom to be expanded. And Christ's church to be edified and built up. Is this what we long for? And does not swear deceitfully. Yesterday in the morning I was highly convicted in our book study because we talked about the law of God and how the law of God is not just in the letter, but it's the expansion of the law. To not bear false witness is so much bigger than just lying. It's allowing your ears even to be fed upon those lies. It is so much more. It is not telling the full truth when you know it to be true. It's keeping back that what you know to be truth. And how do we do this before God Almighty? We're deceitful to him who knows. We don't lay them out before him in purity and in truth. We don't lay out our sins before him, naming them for what they are. And therefore we grovel in our sins. But him who does not swear deceitfully, who is pure, who he, he gives himself to the things even that might harm him, if he has said, I will do this for you. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Verse 6. So from 3 to verse 6, we see that that is the very generation. He will receive the blessing of the Lord, the power from the Holy Spirit, the power from the Spirit of Christ coming in us and living through us and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Thank the Lord for Jesus Christ. Who is the righteousness of God? The Lord, our righteousness. The one who has appeased the wrath of God and extinguished our guilt. And not only that, he has imputed unto us righteousness and given us the life of God in the soul of man. And righteousness, we are not only made righteous by his imputation of righteousness, but we are treated as such. So where does the child of God get the strength? Where does the child of, where, so where are we to look? To walk this life that God has evidently called us to. Every single one who's going to come into the hill of God, to see, to stand in his holy place, how are they going to be able to do this? We see in verse 7 to verse 10, we see the triumphant one. We see the broad-shouldered one. We see the one who came to accomplish in our place the fullness of God to give and reconcile man to himself through the Christ of God. We see that he not only satisfied, he not only died upon the cross that it was his to bear for his people. 
But he not only died, but he ascended. And now he does not go into his holy place. He does not go into the courts of God as one that has to knock. He does not go to one. He is the triumphant one. He has ascended on high. And he says, lift up your heads, O gates. And the Lord does not stop there. He shows in a succession of the same words. In verse number 9, you see, lift up your heads, O gates. This is not just him, him, this is not just, uh, him coming into a place unannounced that he's not deserving to be there. This is him triumphantly walking in. He wasn't, no one else, as we saw in Revelation, who will open up the book. And all the earth, and John groaned because he knew the understanding of that. Unless that be opened, unless that be opened by the one that could fully extinguish the guilt of mankind, how in the world could mankind be reconciled back to God? So he says, lift up your heads, holy gates. It's a, it's, a, it's a proclamation. It's all of heaven coming to its feet. It's all of heaven pan, standing up for the one who is coming, the one who gives his people power, the one that every generation has looked unto, the one that we look back to, the one that we know is ascended upon his throne, ever living to make intercession for us. And it says, lift up your heads, O gates. It says, throw them up. Throw up the gates because the triumphant one is coming. And be lift up ye ancient doors. The everlasting covenant of God. The one that was made before the creation of the earth. The one that created the earth. The one that before the creation of time as it says in Isaiah 49. Made a covenant with the father. That he would reconcile not only Jews but Gentiles back unto the father. And it was not a, not a hard thing for him to do. But it would be a light thing or an undoing of God himself. This is the Christ we serve. This, this is how you have the strength to go on for him is knowing more of his unsearchable glory. It says, lift up your head, O gates. Lift up your head, O gates, that the king of glory may come in. And then all says, who is this king? Who is this king? Who is he that can come before the throne of God? Who is this king? The Lord strong. Look at the description, folks. Fasten your eyes on him, the Lord, strong and mighty. The everlasting Lord, have we already learned from the ancient doors. The king of glory. The one that came in the stead of sinners. Who is this king of glory? The one strong and mighty. He's omnipotent. It reveals himself to never be able to be taken from without having more than enough to supply the next. Because he's an infinite amount of strength and glory. It says in Isaiah 63, it says, who, will, who, who, who is able to do these things? And it shows Christ that went through the winepress of God's wrath. And when he went through the winepress of God's wrath, it wasn't an extinguishing of him. It was rather a showing forth of who he is. His strength and glory goes forth. This is the one we go to. This is the one we plead this pre, his great and precious promises. This is the one we ask God for the nations and believe because he has already, he's already asked the father of him himself. And is he not going to receive that which he asked for in John 17? 
And it says, lift up your heads, O gates, and mighty in battle. What do we battle against? How does the Christian go on? They seize Christ that's mighty in battle, victorious in battle over sin, flesh, the devil, Satan, the corruption in the earth. He is victorious. So the Christian goes on looking upon him, fastening their eyes upon him because they know that he is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith.